from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Baha'i Perspective is a radio program presenting biographical interviews of people who have chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Jackie Valatson, a young woman who did a year of service at the Native American Baha'i Institute in New Mexico. She's now in graduate school studying astronomy. I started the interview by asking Jackie where she grew up and what was it like growing up there. I grew up in Maryland. That was the wonderful place to grow up. I live in California now. It's very nice here, but sometimes I miss the trees in Maryland and the climate and my family. I was very fortunate because the area I had in Maryland had some schools with really wonderful math and science programs that I got to participate in. So those were your interests growing up, math and science? Pretty much. I've always loved to dance and write, too. But I think from fairly early on, I decided that I wanted to be a scientist. And what was religious life like growing up? My mom was kind of on a spiritual search when I was young. And so I went to lots of different Sunday schools when I was about five years old. And then she became a Baha'i. I mostly grew up with the Baha'i faith. The community in Maryland is really wonderful, so loving and welcoming. So I think it really made an impression on me to be around individuals in the Baha'i community who were, like, so loving, and it just felt like, you know, no matter what you did, they would still love you. How old were you when your mother became a Baha'i? I was five or six years old. I have some vague memories of Quaker Sunday school and gluing macaroni onto frames around pictures of Jesus. (laughs) That's about it. So you went to high school in Maryland? Yeah. I went to a magnet program that focused on math and science and technology. And so I got an opportunity to take lots of really interesting classes and have some inspiring teachers, teachers who were very creative and very dedicated. They also um, emphasized research in my high school. So I worked at the U.S. Department of Agriculture doing a research project during the summer before my senior year. It was a little embarrassing, actually, though. I I worked with turkeys, and I sat in a turkey pen for three hours a day, measuring the behavioral dominance of turkeys. And there were a lot of, you know, cockroaches crawling around and things like that. So I don't tend to go into too much detail about it, or I kind of gross people out. (laughs) It didn't gross you out? Only a little bit. I I washed my hands a lot that summer. (laughs) So that was the summer before you graduated, or it was the summer after you graduated? Right 
before I graduated. And what did you do after high school? I went to MIT for undergrad, and the summer before that, I had an internship at NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and I was working with a contractor there that works on quantum optics. So it basically meant that I got to play with the laser all summer. (laughs) So for the layman, what is quantum optics? What I was working on is finding a laser that they could use for extra fast communication. So it would be a way of communicating via light pulses and fiber optic cables. And I think the quantum part is that quantum mathematics allows a different form of encryption that would be harder to break. What was your major at MIT? Physics. And then what did you do after you finished at MIT? I knew I wanted to go to grad school in astronomy. So during my last year at MIT, I applied to programs in astronomy. And then I was accepted to Caltech and decided to come here. But I told them I'd like to defer a year because I wanted to do a year of service. Maybe you could explain to folks what a year of service is. One of the teachings of the Baha'i Faith is that it encourages young people to spend a year doing service to humanity somewhere to give dedicate a year of your life to that. People go all over the world. Some people do it in their own communities. I decided to go volunteer at the Native American Baha'i Institute, which is located on the Navajo Reservation in Arizona. I guess I decided to go there because my study circle facilitator when I was in high school, Dr. Halla, her daughter volunteered there. And so she would go out there to volunteer too. And she just loved it there. She loved the people and especially the children. And so that really made an impression on me and made me want to go volunteer there too. Can you give us some background on what the Native American Baha'i Institute is? Yes. The Native American Baha'i Institute was founded around 1980, I believe, so about 30 years ago. It was founded by Navajos who are Baha'is, and I think one of them had been introduced to the Baha'i faith when he was living in L.A., and when he found out, he was really excited about it and came back and shared it with his family and with other people. So they established the Native American Baha'i Institute as a way of providing services to the people of the reservation and also a center for spiritual life and community activities. Nambi fills a lot of different roles. One of its roles is really trying to empower people to make a difference in their community. So they have volunteers who help tutor study circles, training people to become children's class teachers and animators or leaders of junior youth groups to work with middle school students and then also training people to become tutors of these same study circles and pass on the torch. 
the focus at NAMBI right now is really on how can the volunteers who come in from all over the world be there in a service role to empower the local people to build their community. NAMBI also offers other like material services like NAMBI is fortunate to have a, a well for water because many of the homes on the reservation don't have access to running water. And so people can come to get water from NAMBI. The well water at NAMBI is very good too because uh, some of the other wells around, the water isn't as good quality. So it's really fortunate to have that good clean water. What did you do at NAMBI when you were there? My focus during my year was working with the youth and junior youth. So when I say junior youth, I'm referring to, to young people of the about the middle school age who are just starting to become teenagers and starting to ask like difficult questions about the world, trying to figure out their meaning, their sense of purpose. I was support for the other volunteers there, and I was also working on helping to establish junior youth groups for the middle school students to sort of work together. In these groups, the middle school students, they come up with service projects to serve their community, and they also read these texts that develop literacy and reading skills and also math skills, and then these texts have a spiritual theme so that they set their intellectual development in the framework of a spiritual meaning. So you have maybe a math lesson where the principle of it is social justice, or you could have a book that focuses on reading, but it would cover topics like environmental stewardship and unity and truthfulness. So about how many junior youth are in this program? There's junior youth groups all over the world, and I have no idea how many are all over the world. On the reservation, there were about five groups when I was there, and the total participation fluctuated from about 10 to about 30 junior youth, I believe. And I've heard that since I left, the groups have have grown significantly, which is quite encouraging, because I think that one of the challenges we faced when I was there was, was how to help the groups grow. People often live very far apart, and so it was easier for it just to be like the two siblings from a family would want to have their own, their own junior youth group. We started to, to think, like, well, who can we reach out to? Like, who are their friends within walking distance so that we could get together a sustainable group of youth who could get together on their own and be friends and come up with service projects. And what kind of service projects would you come up with? So they came up with all sorts of different ideas. Picking up trash is a favorite one. So there were a couple times that we went around. There's a town fairly close to where we lived, and so they went down there and picked up trash they picked up a lot of trash, these youth. And then when the earthquake in Haiti occurred when I was out there, so the youth wanted to fundraise to send money to the Red Cross. 
So they baked cupcakes and cookies and walked around their neighborhoods, or I think they went to their teacher's neighborhood and sold these cookies and cupcakes. And they raised, um, I, I believe, about $120, which for them was so exciting because for someone who's 11 years old, that's just like so much money, you know, and it was really, it was so exciting to to see them like realizing that, wow, you know, if I go out there and make an effort, then I can raise money that will make a difference. Another one I liked is we had one junior youth group where the kids decided to make cards to send to the people in a nursing home. So they, they drew these beautiful cards and uh, wrote in, like, really nice messages. Can you remember any of the messages or any kind of themes that, that moved you? Well, I guess one of them, he didn't let us read the message, but I think we had some idea of what it said. It was a young man who his grandpa, who was who had raised him, had just passed away a couple months before. And so I think in in the card he, he wrote to another elder person to tell them about his grandpa. I know some people decide to do this kind of year of service work after, between high school and their undergraduate work. What was your motivation for doing it after you finished your undergraduate work? So I don't remember who told me this, but I had asked someone about this who said, you should wait until after college because you'll develop more skills that you can offer. And I think that doing it after high school, you can be very useful too. But for the position that I was in, I was very grateful, in fact, that I had waited until after college because it gave me time, for one, to develop more communication and organizational skills, which I needed a lot of that year. And then also, because I was over 21, I was able to drive the the vehicles. I was able to get on the insurance to drive the vehicles that Nobby owns, which was very fortunate because things are very spread out where Nobby is. And so being able to drive allows you to, to go visit a lot more people. Now, what motivated you to do a year of service in the first place? I guess I'd heard about it. It must have been when I was maybe eight years old or so. I heard about it. And from that point on, I just sort of assumed that I would do one and sort of dreamed about, well, what will I do? I thought, maybe I'll go to Africa or China or or somewhere and, you know, help people there. But then when it came time to do it, I guess suddenly I decided to stay a little closer to home. When I started making plans to do a year of service, my family sort of got worried because of the state of the economy. They were worried that maybe if I deferred a year that there wouldn't be funding for me for grad school when I got back or that maybe that I might end up without enough money to come home or something. They were a little nervous for me, but I was just, I was just so sure that I wanted to do it, you know, 
it meant so much to me. And I think in the end, things worked out well. So no regrets? No regrets. And I mean, I have to admit, it was the toughest year of my life. But it was like the most meaningful year of my life, too. So tell me why it was the toughest year of your life. So I think that anytime anyone offers themselves in service and tries to give a lot of their time to like trying to make a difference, that you'll encounter tests and you don't know what they're going to be ahead of time because if you can prepare for it, it's not as much of a test. So I think that's sort of what was happening to me. But I guess I experienced a lot of interpersonal challenges. And it it was odd because I thought of myself sort of as a person who gets along with everyone. And then I I was in, like, all these conflict situations with other people. And having to work through that was really challenging and really upsetting for me because... I'd never been in those situations before, but I think maybe just the intimacy of living together in the middle of the desert and of really putting yourself to work on something you're really passionate about that's so close to your heart that there's no longer like a barrier between you and other people. You know, you don't have your own little personal space wall. And and maybe there's something about just the intimacy of that situation that brings out these conflicts. It was really hard to, because just, I guess, part of my identity was maybe thinking of myself as someone who's always happy, always gets along with everyone, you know? And in that situation, my sense of identity was challenged. But ultimately, I think that was a good thing. There's a few passages in the Baha'i writings that basically they talk about seeking, the search for God, that when you're searching for God, you have to give up everything you've seen and heard and understood. And I, I, those passages, they never made sense to me until that year. And then I was realizing that, like, the things that I thought I really knew, like, about myself now are being called into question. And through that, I I felt like I learned to rely on God much more through prayer and meditation. And also, I came out with a much stronger sense of identity in the end of myself as a spiritual being that doesn't depend on people liking me or on always being happy or because while happiness is a spiritual quality, sometimes circumstances just sort of will make you unhappy. But if if that's not the only thing you define yourself by, then you still have if you know that you still have this treasury of spiritual qualities within you like truthfulness and kindness and perseverance and justice then it's it's not so important anymore if there's someone who just doesn't like you. Jackie, why was that year the most meaningful for you? 
I think it was for basically the same reasons. It was it was the test, but it it was also that I kind of got to dedicate myself full time to the things that I think are the most important because I really believe that the challenges in the world that they're going to be solved through spiritual solutions which means that poverty and hunger and tyranny, that these things, well, of course we should do material actions to end them. We should try to feed the hungry. But that if we want a permanent end to hunger, it has to happen through educating our children and discussion in our communities so that our communities, that we raise ourselves to together to the level where we won't tolerate a situation that brings about hunger because everyone else in the community gets together and says, how can we make a better community? And people's consciousness is slowly raised through that process. Then maybe eventually create prosperity, both material and spiritual. So I guess during that year, I got to give my time, full time, to working on things like that. And I learned that it's very, very difficult (laughs) and that I'm probably cut out to be an astronomer. But I think by having that experience, I can make that an aspect of my life as I move on to other places. You can always carry that with you. Jackie, why didn't you major in astronomy when you were uh, at MIT? It's such a pinpoint. So when I was a kid... I decided to, to be a scientist because I, I liked puzzles and things and thought that scientists sounded like a good idea. But I had no idea what it meant. I thought it meant test tubes and colored liquids and exploding things. Then in my senior year of high school, there were all these college forums and they said things like, what major do you want to be? And I sort of panicked. It's like, I have no idea. But... I took a physics class my senior year of high school, and on the very first day, there was an assignment called Orders of Magnitude, where you looked at pictures. You started with pictures of very, very small things, like atoms and molecules and cells, and then each picture would be zoomed out by a factor of 10. So you'd go from an atom to a molecule to a cell to a multi-celled organism to a I don't know, maybe an insect to a human to a giraffe. And then you'd go to the to a, the size of a country, then the size of the world. And then once you get outside of the world, then you'd see, you'd zoom out and see the solar system. And then you'd see many stars together. And finally, it zoomed out so far that you saw a picture. I saw a picture of a whole galaxy. And this was an actual photograph of another galaxy. There's 10 billion stars in this galaxy. And I saw this photograph, and it was just so beautiful that I sat and stared at it for minutes on end. It was incredible. I couldn't believe that something this beautiful existed in nature. From that, I decided that I wanted to do astronomy. Did you say that was in high school when you saw the picture? Yeah. 
but then you went ahead and majored in physics. Yeah, I guess there was another thing, too. So that was in my physics class. I guess the other moment that sort of made me want to do physics was when I was reading my big, fat, heavy physics textbook. I was sitting on the the floor in my basement. It was really cold, and I was flipping through this book, and I, I started reading this page about spherical coordinates which is a way of measuring the distances between things in space. And this page explains the purpose of a cosine. I don't know if you remember what a cosine is, but you probably had to learn it at some point in high school in trigonometry. I did, and I never knew why I was learning this. Like, there just seemed like there was no point. But I'm like, okay, cool, cosine. And when I saw on this page that you could use a cosine to track how something moves through space. And then suddenly, like, a light went on. I just felt so happy. I was like, wow, I learned that cosine, you know, you can use a cosine to measure the motion of a spring or the swinging of the pendulum of a clock, or you can use a cosine to describe how a very, very far away star wiggles a tiny bit and gives us a hint that there's a planet around that star. And all of that is just in this small mathematical concept that they probably made everyone learn in like 10th grade or something, and then we all forgot about it. But when I found that out, I don't know, I just felt like like so happy. I, I thought of like, you know, the way a Christmas tree must feel when got all its lights on and you plug it in and then it lights up. I felt like that. So I guess that made me want to study physics. So have you gone back to grad school? Yes. I've been at Caltech in the Department of Astronomy for a year now. And it's really wonderful. I love it here. Physics was a very useful subject for studying astronomy. Because astronomy is is really a branch of physics. You need all the concepts of physics, like nuclear physics and gravity and electromagnetic radiation, that's light, to understand what's going on in the stars. But at the same time, it's so rewarding now to see all those concepts that I learned as an undergrad finally coming together to really explain what's out there and also to help me be able to understand what are the things that we still don't know? Like, what are the mysteries? So what would you like to do after you finish grad school? I'm still sort of thinking about that. In grad school, you spend most of your graduate student experience doing research, which is you pick a question in astronomy that we don't know the answer to. It's still unexplained. And you use your telescope, you observe the the stars, and you try and figure out the answer to the question. And I think that that's something I'd like to continue doing after grad school. I could do that working for a government lab, such as NASA, or I could also possibly work at a university in academia like as a professor, although that's a very hard job to get. (laughs) But 
the added bonus if you get a job like a professor is that you get to teach. And that's something you also get to do as a grad student. So I'm a teaching assistant right now for a class for Introduction to Astronomy for the undergrads. And I love it. It's so fun to be there with people as they're, like, experiencing the wonders of the universe and sort of figuring out how things click together. It's a really exciting process. There's a question I want to ask you since you were raised as a Baha'i. In the Baha'i faith is this concept of independent investigation of truth. And also the concept in the Baha'i faith is the idea that one does not just become the religion of their parents. And I'm curious to know if there was a point in your life where you took the faith as your own versus just being the daughter of a Baha'i. Well, I think it's been a process. It's hard to pinpoint where it started. Like, I have some vague memories of maybe in middle school, like, kneeling in bed, feeling very angsty and tormented and wondering, do I believe in God? And I I don't know how I resolved that, but my next, I guess my next memory on this path is I participated in some study circles from the Ruhi Institute when I was 14. And I thought these were so beautiful and so exciting. And then when I was 14 and 11 months, I was talking to my mom one night and she asked me, so do you think you want to be a Baha'i now that you're about to turn 15? what decisions do you think you want to make? And I thought about it, and I started crying because I just, I couldn't imagine, like, giving up Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i faith, because Baha'u'llah's writings are so beautiful and just, like, such a part of me that imagining living without that was really upsetting. Hopefully every day I've become more of a Baha'i and learn something more about what it means to be a Baha'i because it's not a static thing and I hope that it never becomes a static thing. Well, Jackie, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and talking to me. Thank you. Your radio program is really wonderful and I love what you're doing. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jackie Valatson, a young woman who did a year of service at the Native American Baha'i Institute in New Mexico. She's now in graduate school studying astronomy. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
I turned away from myself when I learned that I'm not by myself. I wanna die in you and turn to see you living in me eternally. Uh, how many eyes have seen what I've been through? How many hearts will confide in you? I seek your pleasure and I want it to continue. So I tell myself, look alive, I will die in you. Using my eyes, trying to see what I find So I'm staring out the window, thinking about a time When I can just chill and relax my mind But my heart can't see through the pain You know I can't see through the rain and the stain on the frame So I look inside and I hear a voice say If you love me, turn away So I turn away from myself, I'll stay Forever like this, through the night, through the day I learn that better things come my way If I die in him and begin to pray So it's clear with no tears and no fear We don't need to wait around for heaven to appear Cause it's right here inside So come on everybody look alive Hold the earth in the palm of my hand 
So say the wise and the sages I've got nothing but I'm working God's land I've got the wealth of the ages Wear the clothing of the common man Doing the work of the angels Time flies like fine grains of sand My life is a turn of the pages and I'll give it to you Cause I can't give away what isn't mine And all that I have is my life and my time And the feel of a hometown where I landed The slipping away I'll be empty-handed So all I can call these things my own Gonna give them to you
clean and mighty wings Now you know the one who made the sky So fly, little one, fly Fly, little one, fly Fly, little one, fly This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.